an interesting, um, it's an interesting pattern that I've not played that for a long time. Just sort of alternating triplets, and then you double stroke the first of each group of three, and the second, and the third, and uh, it's got so like into into doubling them or or playing five strokes that the muscle memory actually um, struggles a bit with that. It's a bit weird. Anyway, welcome back. Feels like a long time ago since I recorded an episode um, with just myself, because obviously last month was the Owain Fleetwood Jenkins interview, which was um, really great to uh, to get done. And if you haven't listened to that, I really recommend it as a drummer or anybody. He's a great guy and very interesting conversation. Um, yeah, check that out. And... Yeah, and then the month, the month before I recorded um, earlier than the normal release date. So mm. it's kind of weird because since then, since October now, this is the, um, it is the 1st of October today. So the first Sunday of every month and, I, and very, very rarely record on the 1st because very rarely are actually the Sunday's ever the 1st. It's a funny one. Uh, obviously... Occasionally they are, but it's, um, I think the last time it was, I think I'd, I missed and did the week after, which is um, sometimes it can creep up on me a bit. But uh, yeah, there's been a lot going on. Um, it's been um, yeah quite an intense couple of months, really. I've been away to Kuwait, and um, that happened in the middle of August. So... Um, the last recorded episode I did on my own was pre-recording um, the trio album, which is now mixed. So the the interview with Owen was when we did the album, the sixth, seventh, and eighth of August, and then the I, well, I went down to see him uh, at the beginning of September um, to mix the album. I went down and spent a couple of days with him. Just, just me and him, um, and uh, yeah, mix the album. It sounds really mega, really, really great. Great drum sound, great trio sound. Really good, really clear, very, um, a very honest, humble mixed, which is really um, natural, but um, really, really clear sounding. Lots of interesting things in the production of it. Subtle things. Things that I would never have gone for because I'm not skilled enough. But having watched him work, it's very fascinating. So that happened, yeah, just I came back from Q8, 31st of August. And um, for any of you wondering why I went to Q8, I didn't go for, <laughs> go for a holiday. I went because my partner has moved there for a while working. So um, I went to help her out, help her move in and stuff and um, take some stuff over there. Um, yeah, it was an interesting place. Very, very hot. 50. 50 degrees C. It was, um, was the highest temperature I saw a couple of times. Um, yeah, not not for me. Uh, the temperature in the UK at the moment is about 12, which is... Um, which is okay. So uh, yeah, so that was kind of that was just the beginning of September. And then obviously the interview with him came out the day I got home from um, went down on the Saturday. Uh, got home on Thursday. Went to a friend of mine's wedding. It's the PUs, which was great. He got married. Um, and yeah, then that was on the that was on Friday. Saturday I drove down to uh, Pembrokeshire. And uh, we mixed in the afternoon, stayed over, and then we mixed in the morning. And then I came home. Um, and then uh, and then went back to work. And that's been kind of a blur, really. That's been the vibe since. Uh, and I made a note a few weeks ago about what I wanted this podcast to be about. Um, because I was kind of thinking... Um, just after this recording this album and uh, and also just... This with some other bits of 
projects and stuff that are potentially going on and then sort of the lack of anything that's going on really as well it's quite quite quiet for me at the moment on the playing side of things um i'm hearing that across the board as well so um but um but the project side of things is the thing where um having you know put this trio together and then spent this kind of the, the first part of this year planning that and rehearsing that a bit back in may and then setting a recording date and all this takes so much time you know the timeline is quite a long time i never got to get this cd finished we've got to get it mastered and then finished and produced before november the 25th um, which is our or 24th sorry which is our first gig um so yeah and it, it it just creeps up on you it's like it's already october today as i said first of october 2023 um this is the fourth year of this podcast now um because i started recording this podcast in october 2019 and um and people who know know the kind of reasons behind that and stuff and uh and here we are four weeks later four months sorry four months four years what am i talking about four years i completely lost my marbles here we are four weeks later four years later people four years four whole years yeah and um and originally i was doing them um god i think i had some crazy idea of doing them weekly which was completely stupid um and then it went to twice monthly so bi-monthly or um yeah i always think yeah is that is that once every two months or twice a month it's one of those weird ones isn't it anyway it and then i settled on the once a month because i just um i just don't have the time or have anything interesting really anybody wants to listen to and once a month is enough to get sort of bored to tears listening to this and, and uh, fall asleep or whatever you do to this so um yeah so four years um i think the first the reason why i mentioned this now is because obviously the, the, the thing that came out beginning of september was um it was not four years, and then October is the first, is the month where I recorded the first one back in 2019. So I think it was like the 19th or something. I can't remember. Anyway, there's a bit of an archive now of stuff, lots and lots of stuff. Um, hopefully not too repetitive. I'm hope, a bit hoping. Um, there's a couple of other interviews in the pipeline potentially. I did. Um, I did a gig with um, Mr. McCallum, Stuart McCallum, last week or the week before. And um, as we were departing at the end of the gig, he was saying, oh, we should do a part three. And I said, yeah, great, come round. So there's there's a kind of plan to do that here. Um, Obviously, we've done one online, the first one, which was... Um, which was a really good interview. It wasn't very well recorded, I'm afraid. Yeah, there were some problems with that. Um, and it was done during lockdown. And um, yeah, it was. Uh, I think it was quite tricky for Stuart at the time. I think it was lots going on in his kind of household and stuff. And, um, and then um, the second one uh, we did in his garden, which was, um, which was yeah, during the sort of the second just pre-second lockdown in Manchester. So that was 2020. Must have been. Must have been 2020. Um, yeah, so uh, that's potentially on the cards. Um, and uh, there's a couple of other ones as well, which I won't mention anything about, but uh, are potential uh, things. So, and uh, somebody recording this today. It's, um, it's funny, every year... I get asked by my good friend Lee Mullen if I'm going to the UK drum show. And um, I never go to these things. And I always feel like a bit of a a bit of a party pooper, really, on the old drumming scene thing. Um, but I just 
the thought of being in a massive space with just like the sound of oh, dozens and dozens and dozens of people hitting drums randomly and just that whole vibe um, and not being able to hear. As I'm getting older, my hearing's not as great as it, you know, as it used to be and just not being able to hear and obviously seeing lots of people, which is great, you know, but just not being able to hear people properly and... And so I was going to go today, and then because it was it's, it's in Liverpool this year, it's, it's yesterday and today I was I was I was I was busy yesterday. I didn't I couldn't go, but today I was thinking about going. But I just got up this morning. I was like pretty tired. I had a pretty long day yesterday, and uh, doing my kind of bit of my hobby, driving. Uh, very long day, tiring, and. Um, and having just been at work, you know, very, very busy at work at the moment. So he's sort of generally knackered all around, pardon my pardon my tongue. But, um, yeah, I just woke up this morning and I was, like, feeling sort of negative about the whole thing. And then just thought, was sort of feeling generally quite negative, you know. Um, and I was thinking, oh, I've got to do this later. You know, it's my, my monthly thing. I've got to get my – got to G myself up. And I've spent a lot of the day um, – practicing playing and practicing the drums i've got a drum kit in the house at the moment because my partner's not here so i've decided to move the drums into the house because it's a little bit quieter on for the neighbors side of things i'm not involved really in any uh recording projects or anything at the moment so um i've not got i i have in fact i haven't i'm just looking behind me i had the drum kit um I had the drum kit out last week because I was using it um, and haven't had a chance to set it up again since. So um, up in the shed up here. So um, and I've just done a load of drum maintenance and put I had these new hoops that Richard Newby made for me. I finally got them on the 22 and got that all sorted out, which is nice. Uh, made a sort of daft decision to empty the loft last weekend, which part of that was getting all of the drum stuff out. And then I had all this drum hardware. Got loads of these heavyweight Yamaha stands, which which I used to use when I used to tour a bit. And uh, the touring things, it's not really happening anymore for me. So, again, it was like another little reminder of this little niggling thing in the back of my head, like, oh, it's kind of just pecking away at me about about what the hell's going on, you know, about sort of direction and uh, playing and stuff. But, yeah, it's, you know, um, I've been practising a lot today and quite a lot recently, trying to get a couple of little things learnt. And... Um, you know that's been going really well, but but there's this kind of feeling of trying to remind myself sometimes. I don't know if you feel like this, but about the purpose of of, of doing this. I mean, obviously, you know, we're all driven to play, um, and I I don't really have any um, business mind or ambition or drive or insight or knowledge or will or anything and it's something i've thought, been thinking about a lot um particularly last few months because of some stuff that's been was going on at work and stuff and the kind of the sort of vulnerability of um of things as you get into kind of middle age and stuff moves on and then things become sort become slightly under threat and you start to sort of reevaluate what what your little corner is you know what 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 have you got like um what have you got your toe in you know and i realize that things have become quite thin for me because um because work obviously in itself just the day job thing um the day job that i have it um, it takes a lot of time and headspace um, and just ultimately energy, you know, and and some sometimes it, it it leaves space for for music and often it doesn't, you know. At the moment, it really feels like it isn't, but I'm I'm sort of forging ahead with my own making my own time, and um, obviously the the thing of just living on my own at the moment as well kind of helps that because I've not got kind of extra responsibility in, in that respect, you know. And um, it feels like that's kind of in the next couple of years, really, that's going to be 
that space is going to be available, um, hopefully, anyway, we'll see. Um, and then after that, things will um, potentially significantly change. Let's, uh, fingers crossed, you know. Um, but it is a kind of one eye on the sort of the thing of, you know, 52 years of age and um, and what this industry, the state of this industry at the moment, the music industry in, in relation to... Um, I think if you're young, it's easier, actually. People say, oh, you know, it's difficult for the young and all that. And I think in a lot of ways it is because um, I think the state of kind of social media and, and the world and sort of weird the weirdness of all that, it's so new to humanity that we're all very confused by it, I think. And, and this kind of, and also the sort of the, the rising... Um, the rising thing of AI and, and what that means, what AI is going to bring to the creative industries particularly, um, or what it's potentially going to do to the rest of humanity, you know, is very challenging times. But I think if you're young, um, I think that because, you know, the younger part of this change, they're more... Obviously, the more in it, it's, they're more empowered into it because it's part of their future. Uh, the the kind of future of the music industry from when I was young to what it is now is is significantly different, and I don't feel like I've really um, found a kind of path into that um, well enough. You know, I think um, where I've ended up is 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 for a number of reasons and. And yeah, like I said, I thought a lot about that and about this sort of idea of, of where does ambition come from? You know, um, I mean, to be uh, to be ambitious in music, you know, um, and it sort of ties in the, with the title of this because you know um, the thing I was thinking about was this thing of for the love of music. You know, we 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 do it for ultimately the love of music and um, trying to balance that with all the business side of things or the kind of networking side of things is um, it can feel kind of at odds with that, you know, and I think that it's hard um, for people to sometimes you know, find, like, that balance of path, you know. And and then there's also this kind of thing, it's sort of two, it's two parts, this is that side of it. And then there's this, the idea of this sort of becoming sort of typecast. And um, and then the, the irony of that, when you become sort of typecast into a sort of type of player that people call you to be, you can sort of end up feeling like a sort of drummer, like you know, of no fixed abode, you know, like um, like a drummer that is sort of floating between lots of different styles, and uh, he's known within different circles for different things. Um, and I think that's kind of uh, yeah, just to sort of I don't know if that's a place where I feel like I am, but it's something that maybe people become uh, start to feel from time to time you know they um, it's it's always that thing of the the artist versus the the kind of jobbing player and and I've done an episode a long time ago just talking about that kind of idea so I don't want to go down down into that specific thing again but if um you know, just as a sort of quick recap, if you're if you're if you're an artistically led player, then that that means that whatever the concept of the artistic thing that you're driven to share is the be all and end all. You know, everything everything is tailored around making that. You know, uh, making that the thing, and I think you know, I think that's where I think that's where I kind of thought at one time. That's where I thought I was going to end up, and um, it's just basically grown. I'd grown up in a family where, um, you know, we, we're not a family of business, you know. And I've kind of got to know as I've got older, and I've got to know people who's who um, 
obviously have different families and, and, and different kind of backgrounds of their families, but the thing of of uh, of when when families have financial security, then the, the offspring tend to feel braver and, and can take more risks and feel like there's a safety net, you know. And then on and then there's like the different influences from the family about the aspiration of of risk and the aspiration of 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 being able to kind of stand on your own two feet and you know like work for yourself for instance and um and so the weird thing for me was when i started playing the drums you know i was you know i, I was totally drawn to playing the drums that's what i wanted to do um and I never kind of had this, had this vision of being sort of good enough for people to want me to to use me, to play with them in lots of different situations. I, I always thought that I was going to just, like, you know, play in a certain way and end up playing uh, in, in quite a niche way and playing with people in a very similar kind of thing. And that was kind of going on for a while. And then getting involved in a project that would, you know, that would sort of have some kind of success. And then that would just lead to meeting more people within that kind of niche area, you know. And uh, and that didn't happen for me at all. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a number of things along the, <clears throat> excuse me, along the timeline of... Um, the timeline of what happened as well as other things that happen in life that disrupt, you know, the uh, the paths. You know, life deals as what it deals, and who knows what's around the corner and all those cliches, blah blah blah. But um, you know, looking back through the path of it, it just that thing of like little quirks, like um, we didn't, um, our household didn't have a car. You know, we never owned a car. So, um, my my mother and father, my, my dad did drive a little bit when we were very very young, and in and I remember this sort of car that we I don't know if we if we had it or I don't know what this I remember very very young this kind of a, this, this memory of this car that we didn't have for very long, and then it uh, my dad never passed his test. I think he drove us somewhere once. Wasn't supposed to have, but I think it's quite different in the, like 1972 or three or whatever. It's a very, very young, early memory of this car. I just remember it. I can still see it now if I close my eyes. Actually, it's funny, but um, it uh, it got scrapped. You know, it disappeared. And uh, I remember walking with my dad. We were with my brother, and we were walking past a scrapyard, which wasn't that far from where we lived, you know, and I remember saying, I said to my dad, is, 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 the, is that where the car is, you know? Is that where it's gone? Um, and uh, he was like, no, no, it's gone, it's not, it's gone somewhere else, you know. But anyway, I could sort of see these piles of cars, and even at that age, I sort of think I'd understood what happened, you know. You know, this machine, when the machine breaks, it... Um, it gets crushed, you know. It gets uh, ends up in a as a cube, recycled or whatever. Uh, obviously, all the metal gets reused and everything. But it was just yeah, funny memory. But um, we never had a car after that. So growing up, from you know the early stage of, of traveling around anywhere, we used to go to my grandparents, which was I grew up in a place called Glossop, which is in right on the edge of Derbyshire, Thameside, and. I was born in um, Salford, Swinton, um, which wasn't even Salford then. It was Swinton was its own thing. It was 74. It had its own town hall, I think. And all that sort of that side of Manchester all got sort of swallowed up by the city of Salford. Um, but um, we used to travel because my both my grandparents, my mum and dad's uh, parents, were, were, were all over. And my, and my dad's sister were all over the you know, the, um, the side I kind of live on now because I live Bolton now, but it's all this side. Um, so we used to have to travel, like it was two buses, you know, or train and a bus. I just remember it took forever, you know. It was just forever. And lots of amazing imagery, you know, at that time, coming into Manchester and out of Manchester in, in those... 
in especially in the the mid seventies, quite bleak but sort of quite amazing kind of skyline, you know. Especially on the sort of Ardwick <clears throat> side of Manchester, the side of Manchester had come in from Glossop. You know, you come in through Denton and Ardwick and all that stuff. My dad worked in Ardwick. He worked for GM Buses on Devonshire Street South, and anybody knows that area and remembers that area from the early seventies, even through to the into the into the mid eighties, it was pretty, it's pretty grim kind of place, really. You know, in a way. But I sort of had, I was always drawn to those landscapes. I always liked that kind of, I don't know, sort of in, industrial decline. There's something quite, um, there's something sort of amazing about it in a way. Um, but yeah, but anyway, you know, we used to always be on the bus. So there's always, you know, lots to see and there's always people around you and stuff going on. It, um, the, the Travelling in a car was a, was a complete and utter um, was a, was just like a was my uncle um, he had a car my, uh, my my dad's sister's husband he, he had a, and occasionally used to give us lifts and it was just such like a treat you know and uh, getting from where they lived in Little Hulton to home you know in less than fifty minutes really for an hour maybe. This was when the old the M60 was only half built. He used to be able to go down the around the Stockport side. He said you get on it, sort of walked in that side, and then uh, yeah, go around to the M67, which was where it ended at the time. I don't remember those days. This is not supposed to be a history or a, um, some sort of a remin, a rem, a reminiscing about the old days of Manchester podcast, but just funny memories that are coming back. Just this thing of of um, of, of having a family with no car. This is the point of the. This is not a tangent. Well, it is a tangent. It's completely not a nonsense tangent. But um, I think the weird thing for me was when I was. I tried to learn to drive in my early twenties and ran out of money, and I tried to learn to drive again and ran out of money again, and then um, in the sort of late nineties, um, I was in in a, in a band. A couple of projects, and we played a lot together, and uh, we travelled a lot together. And, and I, I didn't drive, and I, I made the mistake of buying. Uh, I bought a drum kit, but I bought it sort of on credit. I remember at the time, um, and I remember I pissed somebody off, uh, one of the guys in one of the bands, because he was like, "Why are you buying a drum kit when you really need to be just." learn to drive and that was the real that was the thing you know somebody sort of kicking me up the arse and saying come on you know um, but the thing that he hadn't realised uh, I bought the, I bought the drum kit on, on sort of this credit thing it was like there was, a, there was a thing at the moment at the time Johnny Roadhouse were doing and it was a it was like an interest free thing and it was really cheap and um, so that's how I bought that drum kit and I think he thought I'd just gone out and spent a thousand quid or something and I hadn't I've like gone out and spent I spent like 40 quid a month I can't remember but it was it was really cheap it was interest free or something as well but it was a thing they were doing uh, back in the 90s and uh, oh yeah and that, uh, just to mention Johnny Roadhouse which is one of the partners of this podcast for all your musical instrument needs Oxford Street Manchester go and see them say hello Say um, you heard this if you go in there. Lee Mullins there on a Friday, drums. Um, the rest of the week, it's uh, just people in the shop serve the drums downstairs. But it's fantastic, got all kinds of stuff. Anyway, I was, um, yeah, I I annoyed somebody in one of the regular bands, and and he was right. And so I learned to drive. And I remember I, you know, did my test in the new year of '98. So. Um, I came back from Sweden. I was um, I had a Swedish girlfriend at the time, and I was spent New Year over there. I was spent the whole of Christmas over there. It was it was a beautiful time actually. And then I uh, came home and I had my test on like the third of January, and uh, and I'd been taking quite a lot of lessons, you know. And I'm and as you know, you know, people that listen to this regularly know me. I'm very into cars, and I, I was always into cars when I was even a, even a youngster. And I used to 
what loved watching cars on the telly. My dad always watched Formula One. He watched MotoGP, and he used to watch all sorts of different racing. It was always on on the, in, on the weekends on the television. He used to watch it. He used to really enjoy it. Motorbiking, sidecars, all that kind of crazy stuff, you know. Um, but I was always into, yeah, I was always I was quite into sort of rallies and driving as well. But I, I quite liked programs about cars, you know, just generally cars, any any sort of car. And and, and again, you know, that sort of as I got older, I, I realised I was just into thing anything with engine with wheels. Really, it doesn't really matter what it is. I'm sort of in, I sort of in, I'm into that and kind of enjoy it. So, when I passed my test, anyway, I did this test, and um, I passed. Um, lucky enough to pass first time. They didn't pass the theory test first time because I never revised for it. I, I failed it twice. I just I just thought I'd blag it. And then the, the third time I did it, I did it properly. I got I bought the actual book and I learned all the questions and everything and did it properly and then got full marks, um, which is the way I should have done it in the first place. But anyway, you know, but the actual driving test, the, the really meaningful part of it, the thing of physically driving the vehicle and all that, I passed first time and I got, just got a very, very small number of minor things. So I was kind of really chuffed. And I always remember the feeling of... Um, the guy saying, "Well, congratulations! You've um, I can tell you you've passed your uh, your test today. You are now free to drive a motor car on your own, you know, unassisted or whatever." And I, in that moment, it's one of those moments in life which are there aren't that many of them actually, where you where everything changes, everything, and. Uh, and then suddenly I was in this situation of... Uh, I bought a car quite quickly, which which actually blew up quite quickly because it was shit. Um, and then I bought another car, which was terrible. I used to use more oil than it did petrol, but it was, again, it got me from A to B. And then I bought my first proper car after that. But anyway, in that first year, I passed the test in January and I was really skint. I just had no money at all at the time. And then I, by March, I managed to save up about 250 quid and buy this car, and then I had to get it insured, and you know it's just all those things. You just, everything's kind of working against you when you when you're a bit skint, and um, yeah. But as soon as I bought the car, people started ringing me. Uh, other people, because uh, I, I was involved in lots of different projects and things, but I was tending to play with two or three of the same bass players and people who, who would give me lifts, and, and they were good friends of mine, and we'd just you know. It was great, a very social thing. It was um, a great, really, really lovely period in my life. I think feel very think about very fondly to that period. It was just great, you know. Um, and then I just suddenly got really busy, and then suddenly it was just loads of different people were just ringing me, and I just ended up, you know, the next few years. I mean, including the illness in in two thousand two thousand and one, which was a, a bit of a ball ache, but. This that year, because um, it was like I, I was basically a year of treatment, but I was still playing during that year and still driving and everything and doing whatever I was doing. But it was just that was a, it was kind of tied a bit tied down by that, especially the sort of latter half of it with the stem cell transplant and stuff. Then having to go in hospital and having to recover from all that, it was a few months of, of sort of just being, you know, like. Um, and also just the thing of, you know, just not knowing really what was going to happen. Um, and then after getting, you know, after getting well, and then when I was well, after, when I sort of got back into sort of playing again, I was just so busy um, earning next to no money. Absolutely just really, you know, playing, really playing jazz and and just doing gigs for next to nothing. I mean, not even enough money to even really run the car and pay the rent and anything. It was just a farce, really. But it sort of ended up in this thing where um, it was just a period where everything was all a bit weird, and I got very burnt out. But about 2005, I was really burnt out. I was sort of on the verge of, of really, I don't know, thinking... I needed to do something different, really. Um, but by that time, I'd become com completely typecast, you know, really solidly typecast into being sort of, a, for quite a number of people, the first call to play um, 
kind of certain sort of music and jazz. And I, I, I was also spent a lot of time um, sort of jingling these keys, these keys around in my pocket. Um, I, I, I was kind of known for working with singers, uh, jazz singers, because I could play quietly. Um, so I, I, I was, I'd been, I'd played a lot behind singers and different singers, and, and kind of a bit of reputation for that. Singers seemed to like the way I played, the sensitivity of the way I played. Um, <clears throat> Some singers didn't. Some singers didn't like that. They wanted they wanted the drums to be more bombastic, and I would always struggle in those situations because that's not how I heard the music, you know. And uh, and this is kind of where you know, it kind of gets to the sort of centre of it all, really. You know, is that um, is you know knowing what the right thing to do in different situations is sometimes. Um, so you kind of typecast in one way, but you end up not really playing the music in the way that somebody needs, but you're playing the music in the way that you hear and the way you love to hear that, that music, you know. Um, but it's just that remembering that it's all for the love of music, you know, actually, at the end of the day, when you um, when you strip it all back and you start looking at why you do what you do, um, for me, it's still the same thing. It's exactly the same feeling, you know, of um, of just getting up there, getting behind the instrument and beginning, you know. And the great thing about obviously playing jazz is that that beginning is is, is often an un uh, kind of an untreaded path, you know. Um, and I, I find that quite easy. But in, in other styles of music that have that approach, I find that be, I'm sort of finding that more difficult these days because there's so much kind of contemporary crossover going on now into sort of improvised music with electronic music. That I think that um, the younger drummers that are more connected to that style of playing. And are listening to those sort of players that have really crafted that thing in a niche way. Um, I think that they they kind of do better. Um, but it's whether or not it's it's sort of still got the freedom, you know, whether it's still got that open freedom about it, or whether it's you know that kind of playing. Really ties you in to a certain sort of um, to a certain sort of vibe and expectation. You know, uh, I don't know. It's just it's just thoughts, really thoughts and things that um, I don't know. Maybe you're maybe you're thinking about as well. I don't know. Um, but I, I'm certainly thinking about it's. I'm, I'm sort of thinking about the music that I'm listening to at the moment, and actually, it feels a bit kind of disconnected in some ways from from things that I'm playing you know um and I've always gone through little periods like that because I'm because I'm very into songs you know I like um I like singers and songs and um I go in and out of listening to jazz you know there's there can be weeks and weeks and weeks going by when I don't listen to any jazz at all you know because I'm just listening to other stuff, other things, because my head's in that. I tend to be, you know, um, I don't tend to flit around with my listening. I tend to stay in a kind of area because, again, for the love of music, you know, it's not um, not listening for the sake of listening. It's uh, I don't ever want it to feel like that, you know. And uh, sometimes, you know, in the job that I do and in the situation I'm, I'm in, sometimes you feel a bit pressured by people to listen to... Oh, you should be listening to this, or you should be listening to that because you know because you're this, and it's like that's, I just think that's a load of horseshit. Personally, I think that you know you you we we do what we do for the love of what we do, and if you if you lose sight of that, then uh, I think you're doing it for the wrong reasons. You know, I think people are, people are sort of saying that you know that we you know, one should be listening to something, or one should know about something, or whatever. It just means that. You're being told to um, conform 
to the things that other people have already discovered, you know. Um, whereas I've always said, uh, I mean, I have this kind of, so you get some people sometimes who, who think you should have listened to X or Y jazz album, you know, because it's whatever it is. And that's that's like a massive thing. And I'm not talking about kind of blue or, you know, or, or um, just any of those kind of classic albums. I'm just, I'm talking about um, like lots and lots of albums. People think that you should have listened to X or Y. And my attitude is always just, um, have you listened to? It's just simply that thing. Because there's so much stuff I've listened to that I know... <clears throat> like most of my peers and and certainly my, all of my students just about have never listened to because we all have our own niche and, and, and eclectic tastes and we all go down little, you know, down our own little kind of burrows <clears throat> when we get into types and, you know, music that we really like. And, uh, and... I've, I always find it that thing difficult as well, where people sort of say, "Oh, I really don't, oh, I don't like that type of music," and they were and they're really kind of negative about it. Whereas you know, I just think you could just be more generous than that and just say, "It's not for me," you know, "It's not my." I've checked it out; it doesn't resonate with me, you know. It's um, but you may love that vibe, and that's cool, you know, because it connects with you and um, that music connects with you, then, you know, it's going to connect with the way you play music in some way, I think. Um, the sound of the sound of stuff that we love to listen to, we, I, f I feel we carry, I feel I carry that, I won't speak for anybody else, but I, I hear it time and time again, but, you know, I carry that, um, I carry that influence into everything. And it's shaped it's shaped the sound that I'm trying to make and um still trying to make at fifty two you know that thing has shaped always shapes that thing the um uh, could be you know the influence of of um listening to um listening to Sean Carey at the moment again um I think Sean Carey is amazing uh, singer. I, I love his music and, and and great. You know he's got he's got a beautiful voice. Um, seems to be getting more confident with his voices, which is great. Um, sounds like that on this latest album, and the production. The production is. I have. I mean, I just think it's mind bending. I don't really have any other. I, I listen to it and I'm sort of in awe of it on on so many levels that the the attention to detail the creativity the ability to mix this music so that you can hear this incredible array of stuff so, so sonoric crafted ideas I don't even you know I don't even know how these how these sounds are even made you know this is just I'm, I, I'm just kind of in awe of it you know genuinely I just listen to it and I'm just like I find it um, and so you know in in that uh, in, in in everything I'm describing it's not only just about the sound of it it's the process behind it as well you know um even sort of feeling like I'm, i would bring five percent of of that thing to any musical situation that i was lucky enough to be in would feel um you know like i'm like i'm bringing bringing as good as I can get, you know. Um, yeah, it's so fascinating. It's just that those two things is not not just the sound of it, but the kind of the the, the, the process of it, the kind of, uh, I don't know, the work ethic of it or whatever. Um, but none of these things, um, 
tie into the, the business side of this thing. And this is the sort of thing about the this is this weird tangent thing about thinking about the motor car. So this was like kind of centre of this whole thing, which doesn't it's kind of rambly nonsense really. It feels a bit rambly, but it's kind of where my head is a bit at the moment. But the, you know, the my family never had any business or ambition to be um to be um you know anything uh, other than just you know kind of uh, you know doing doing what you do and pay the bills and all that kind of stuff and um and doing sort of remote you know my mum was a nurse for instance you know so it's like a it's like a public servant really and you know and um and my my dad was very motivated in that kind of way as well. But there was, you know, my dad was quite anti, sort of kind of anti business in a way, and a bit anti stock market, very socialist and all that kind of stuff. And you know, and that's been that's been quite challenging for me as I've got older, uh, especially in the situation I live in now, and 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 having to and feeling decidedly middle class you know because of various factors um that kind of trying to accept that you where you are uh, again i can only speak for myself but trying to accept where i am um and you know and that's okay it feels like can feel like you've gone further away from the thing that you were always expecting to be, if that makes any sense. So, the, so the business side of things for me, as a as an individual, like thinking about business, business, business within within the music thing about how do I, you know, how do I make my thing? How do I get it out there? You know, what's the what's the plan? Um, has always felt completely alien, you know. And then there's just, you know, there's also the sort of lack of confidence thing with that as well. Um, you know, my my sort of belief system has always been, um, you you know, you try and play as good as you can. You practice and you try and get better and you try and, and you play as good as you can. And that hopefully speaks for itself. And that's and that's kind of it, really. And I think that that's um, if I was to advise anybody, that's not a great vibe. I don't think. I think um, one needs to have more than that to get on. You know, especially these days. Um, and especially with the business the way it is now, you know, the business is very strange. Um, I, yeah, I don't know how anybody makes any money out of it, you know. Um, I don't know if I, if I, you know, stopped uh, working where I do and just went back to being a player again, I don't know where, I don't know where, I don't know how I'd, don't even know where I begin really to make to make just to make a living, you know. Um, plenty of connections and and stuff like that, and you know, you put the call out and people kind of start ringing you again and blah blah blah, you know. But just the idea of really making a living out of it. And people I talk to, I, I some people that I know who who do very well as players, who, who have got projects that are doing very well, you know, they say the same thing as I'm saying now. They, they, they say, yeah, there's not really any money. There's not really any money in any of it. You know, they're doing it. Um, some of it has to obviously be for the love of it, you know. And some of it is a business and some, you know, there's other things, but they must, they're not doing it for nothing. Um, but yeah, it's a funny, it's a funny sort of, uh, feels like a funny time to me. It feels like a sort of um, like a crossroads. Um, is the human race at a crossroads? I don't know. Probably not. The, the news would like to tell you so, and all this. The news likes to create news for the sake of its existence, doesn't it? You know, if the news didn't have any news, there'd be no news. So um, it's the thing like the weather, isn't it? You know, I was laughing. I went. I was playing this week down in 
hadn't done it for years, the jazz syndicate down in Stoke, and um, Paul and Kath, they rang me up and said, oh, do you want to do a gig for us? Um, Brandon Allen, fantastic tenor player, by the way, and and alto, I believe, but he, he just played tenor on Wednesday. But he's very, very, very good player. Um, a very nice, nice gig. And uh, I was driving down to Stoke, you know, and the, the, and the news was storm, dog shit, or I don't know, storm, whatever, some stupid fucking name for a storm. And there was like a bit of wind and stuff going on and and I got to the gig and I was saying to um saying to Paul the guy running a gig I, was like, I said what is it with the world you know it's like I remember I remember driving when I first learned to drive in the late night driving across the M62 there's that bridge which just after Milner and Shaw when you go up to the top to Saddleworth Moor and there's that bridge and you I remember times thinking literally I was getting blown off the bridge and there was not even a not even a warning sign up we'd just be driving along the wind would be like absolutely howling a gale. And then you'd drive onto the bridge and your car would move three feet to the left or right, depending on which direction you were going, you know. And um, you'd be like, fucking hell, wake up, Walsh, you know, whatever. And nowadays it's like if things are half as kind of whatever as that, it's it's like the the country's shutting down, you know. And I just, I just don't know what's, what's the state of everything. It's all just a bit of a joke, really, you know. So um, yeah, I'm not quite sure why we got to that sort of state of affairs with uh, with the conversation. But yeah, just that weird thing of everything feels a bit sort of um, doom and gloom, you know. And then with the kind of the the spectre, the, the the shadow of AI with creativity and everything, and people are talking about that stuff and. I just don't think I really understand it because I I just keep saying to people, well, you know, if a, if a, if a computer or, or an AI machine, whatever that would look like, was on stage and it was making this incredible music, it would be boring to listen to and watch. Um, but if 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 in the same venue there's a stage right next to it with a human being on that stage playing just as virtuosically and doing whatever, I would just go and watch the person, you know. Just, uh, just, this, just the thing of sharing. I just think that people forgetting about that sharing thing, the social sharing thing of just being in a room with another, with other people, just what that means, you know. Or maybe not. Maybe it's just, you know, the news and all these other things are persuading us that there's a, whatever, that actually people are, people are brighter than that, you know. Um, I have faith in people. It was funny, we had some, um, I don't want to offend anybody now, but we had some Christian people at college a couple of weeks ago when we had induction. Very nice, they were very nice chaps. And I um, <laughs> ended up, me and my, my ex-boss, my very good friend, Mr. Sharif, we ended up, just, I don't think either of us real. He was trying to steal a donut. It's one of these things. There was some donuts, and Jamie, you know, he he sees a donut and it's like, and it and it was like being offered to him. And I, I was I was witness to this. It was it was seen to be offered, and he was in there. And then this guy was like, "Oh, you well, you got to sign up for this thing." And he was like, "Oh, what's that?" And then they turned out these two guys were this Christian student Christian society of something or other. And they were nice. So we end up in a conversation, you know, and uh, and the guy quite quick, <laughs> quite quickly worked out that. I mean, I'm I'm not speaking for for Jamie, but I'm not religious, you know. Uh, I was when I was younger, and I'm not now. Uh, I would consider myself a spiritual person who believes in. Um, in the in the here and now, and the na and nature, and and believes in the people and uh, the animals that inhabit our planet and our space that we interact with and have a vibe with, and so he was yeah very kind of quickly. He was like, I, I gather you're not religious, you know, and I was like, no. He said, well, what do you believe in? I said, I just I believe in people, you know. And um, his response was really weird. He said, well, people let you down, don't they? 
And I was like, um, yeah, sometimes, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, I think I said, you know, cars let you down sometimes because they break down, but I don't, it doesn't mean I'm not into cars, you know. Anyway, I think I went over his head a bit because he was off on a kind of spiel about Jesus and stuff, which is all cool, but it was just, I just found it a bit weird that somebody was not listening, they weren't listening, you know. It's like you're not listening. It's tricky. I find that tricky. I find that quite challenging that uh, there's a lack of listening going on there, you know. I think the listening thing is quite important in this in this time, you know. And um, and doing things for the love of it, you know. And, it, and I don't know if the, world, if the world had a little bit more of those two things going on in it. Um, even just like 20%. You know, you can do your thing and be, you know, have your vibe and I've got to make my money and I've got my thing and I've got my stuff and I'm after this, I want to do that and blah, blah. Yeah, it's all cool. But if people could take just a little bit of time to listen and also, you know, and just remember even, or just remember and acknowledge that you're doing something for the love of it, then I don't know whether the world would be a better place. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. But spread that message amongst your, your friends and your peers and whoever... That might be um might be a super positive vibe, not sure, you know. But the thing, you know, just to go back to the the thing about being burnt out and what happened for me was in two thousand and six I got I got the teaching job I've got now that I started teaching uh in the way I wanted to teach. And so it's funny because the teaching thing, um a lot of people view that uh musicians teach you know, in order to pay the bills and they would all choose to not teach if they were um, if they were gigging all the time and earning enough money to not need to teach. And that's quite a controversial statement, you know, because in some respects that uh, is, is 100% correct. Um, but not it's not as clear-cut as that because I think that like you know I'm sat here in this my shed and on the wall is um, Tom McRae Brian Wright uh, Anshar Belgique um, can't see the date now uh, 2010 when we did the tour March 2010 we played AB in, in Brussels now to do that tour that that specific tour we did we were away for about seven weeks and you're on a bus. And so you can't do anything else. That's the thing about it. Um, so in one respect, it's true that, you know, if one was touring all the time, well, then one wouldn't be able to teach. But you also wouldn't be able to do any other gigs, which is why some some musicians end up disappearing out of scenes because they end up touring and they end up doing... Um, you know, they do a bit of teaching, but then they go away and tour, and then they come back and they just kind of slot back into the teaching gig. And then that tour thing, you know, that band, um, I know somebody, a guy I've known a long time, and he plays in a very, I'm not going to say who he is and what the band is, but he plays in a very, very, very well-known band, a massive band. And uh, he's been doing that gig quite a few years. And, and you know, and I don't know what what else he does, because they go away and they do huge tours, massive venues, and uh, they go all over the world, you know, and and, and and stuff's booked 18 months in advance, you know, so the timeline, I mean, apart from COVID, which messed up things, just generally the, the timeline of that vibe is is pretty set out. And I know he's got, I know he's got a little couple of little teaching gigs and stuff, and I know he plays in another band which does some touring, but I think generally... The prior you prioritize, don't you? And um, but the thing about teaching for anybody younger out there is that um, I've grown to love teaching. When I was in my twenties, it was something I didn't think I'd ever want to do. In my early thirties, it's something I didn't do. Uh, I I refused. I wouldn't teach privately or anything. I just I just played. I didn't want to be. I didn't want to do any teaching. I just didn't think I had anything to bring. I wanted to gig, get loads of experience, have something 
to share at some point after I'd got some experience, you know. And um, and then there, yeah, luckily, my mid, you know, mid later thirties, thirty six, I was. I got this job, and it felt just very very lucky and just at the right time. And then again, it's all a learning curve, and you learn a lot of it in a way you're learning on a job. Not not the teaching, but the process and and the sort of the the, the thing you're teaching within, you know. And it's something I've become, you know, reasonably an expert in now. Not, 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 not the actual teaching. I'm, I'm good at teaching. I know I'm good at teaching, and I've got good ways of helping people who need help. You know, I think more of, uh, more mentoring than teaching. It's just kind of steering people really, because you know they do the work and they know what they want to sound like and stuff. But it's just helping people get there quicker than they would on their own. Um, which is why you know why we do it, but the the other processes of of how um, how those kind of teaching things work within those environments, you know, like a university or or a conservatoire, or whatever, you know, and degrees and modules and you know all that kind of stuff, learning outcomes and criterias and stuff, and how you map, you know, how you're what what all those things are, how they people can get the wrong idea sometimes you know they're, they're, they're written and designed to support people to teach the way they teach so you know it's not it's not the hoop jumping opposite thing and, and and educational establishments that do the opposite like they force people to teach in a certain way in order to fulfill the thing that's written they fail they always fail and uh, I challenge anybody that ha- that has an opposite belief of that you know because people don't want that stuff because it's not for the love of it is it it's for bullshit it's for it's another thing you know whereas you know where I teach I'm very proud to say that you know I was at my new, first new students last week you know talking to them about the assessments that they've got you know and um, and just saying to them the stuff that we'll do together in this lesson that's helping you learn this instrument better and quicker and be more efficient and get your stuff together and those the stuff that we're doing will fit into those assessments you know i'm not tailoring my teaching to towards those goals the 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 assessments are written in a way which they support you know they support um, and, that's, and, and a lot of that's about having the right partners and stuff and, you know, HE partners and people that validate you, that understand the nature of what you do. Because if you if you don't have the right people around you, then obviously, then uh, I think some institutions get into a bit of a mess with that. You know, they end up with the wrong kind of people that don't have proper um, like departments that understand their specialisms, you know, if they're not self-validating. So... But the teaching thing, um, interestingly, it feels like a very, it's always felt like a very focused journey for me. It feels, feels like a very purposeful and like it's really, it's become something where I've really understood where I am. Um, but the actual playing side of things, the the, 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 the the sort of studying the instrument and the practice thing is has never kind of changed. It's always been the same ethic and I've got better at it. Um and I still enjoy that process. Uh, it's hard work and it's frustrating, but I, I still enjoy it. But the kind of um, the thing of the actual output side of things, as the world's changing, it feels more vague and more confusing to me. Um, and maybe it's just a project thing. It's about being involved in more projects but more projects is more time you know and, and having enough time is always a challenge you know even just having this uh, my own trio which is which i'm really you know excited about i've got quite a few gigs and stuff and that's all cool you know um just getting the cd finished and then being able to have something out you know when we do when we're doing the gigs something actually finished is um you know it's uh, it feels like a big deal for the first time. I've been involved in lots of projects in the past where we've we've recorded and when the CDs haven't been ready for the gigs, and I've just not thought about it really. Um, but 
this is the first time I've really felt like, yeah, this has got to be ready. These are, this has got to be done by this date, and we've got to be, you know, this is, we've got to have something on the gig to. This is our CD, whoopity whoopity do, and all that stuff. So, blah blah blah. Anyway, yeah, it's a bit of a weird episode. Sorry about that. A bit rambling, a bit strange, a bit um, existential. Don't know. Is it existential, or maybe just um, you know, kind of. Um, Spaced out, not sure. But, yeah, here we are, October 2023. Who'd have thought it, eh? Still going, still going strong, apparently. But, yeah, don't forget, you're doing it for the love of it. You know that anyway. But, you know, sometimes it's, um, sometimes I feel like I need to be reminded just occasionally, you know. So that's kind of it, really. Just to say, I've already mentioned Johnny Roadhouse, blah, blah, blah. Um, what else is there? I always mention this Patreon thing, but it's just, yeah, whatever. It's nonsense. This is how good I am at business, you see. This is how good I am. They've been really, really selling it. Whoopity do. Um, and yeah, I think that's it, really. Uh, anything else to mention? Not sure. No, so that's kind of, yeah, the next, um, next episode is. I am not going to be able to record the next episode um, because the first Sunday in November I will be with uh, Matt Bianco in, in Mallorca, which is... Um, so I dep for Sebastian de Crom. Um, I dep in that band for him. Well, I'm one of the dep. There's three drummers, and I, I very rarely get called because there's three drummers, and then the two of the guys live in London, and the band's all based down there. But Mark Riley, who's um, the sort of sole member now of, of Matt Bianco, uh, the, of the original members, um, he, um, I've had several gigs uh, cancelled. I was supposed to go to Poland, I was supposed to go to Turkey, I was supposed to go to Germany, and they all got cancelled, which is a real shame. Uh, but this one is... Um, this is happening. The flight's actually booked, so um, so I won't be. Uh, I think I'm flying home about about ten o'clock on Sunday night. So the next episode is probably going to be. Um, it probably won't come out on that Sunday, regardless. I'm going to try and pre-record it, and then um, and then I'll get it out. So it'll probably come out on the Monday, or maybe even the Tuesday. Uh, or it may come out early, but I'm flying out there on a Saturday, so um, and I've got busy a couple of days before that as well. It's a bit tricky, so. Um, but yeah, that's kind of that's coming up in the next month, and uh, yeah, a few little nice bits of gigs next month if anybody's around. But then the, the the trio tour is in November. I'll talk about that more in the next episode because. I'll be just mentioning where I'm going. We're not doing a huge one. We're doing about eight gigs and they're all in the north. But um, and there's a few more gigs in February and March. But um, I'll mention all that next time I'm on. So thanks for listening and uh, bye for now. <laughs>